This is Halftime Adjustments on WPXI Now. Welcome to Halftime Adjustments. And while we're dealing with winter here in Pittsburgh, although a little bit better today, I must say, uh, Dan Kovacevic, our buddy and our partner from DKPittsburghSports.com, has a beautiful backdrop behind him, which can only tell us one thing. Spring is here in the form of spring training. Dan, it looks beautiful down there in Braden. Well, Albie, you know, give me some credit because when I left Pittsburgh earlier this week, it was three degrees. I came down here and I just basically rolled all of this up in a ball and sent it back home. So let's let's deal with let's deal with reality here. It arrived. Yeah, we had the temperatures in the 60s today. So that's a, that's a surefire sign that good things are on the way. We're going to talk about the Pirates a little bit later, uh, but let's start uh, tonight with the uh, the Penguins and the suddenly surging Penguins. They've won five out of six. Uh, this is a team that has figured out a way to get it done against some good competition within the division. Uh, the latest win over the Caps last night. Where do you think the Penguins are right now? They certainly seem to be getting some traction, but talk about them as a playoff team. It's it's looking more and more real. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's not the outcomes, or it's not just the outcomes that have been impressive. It's that they're playing better hockey. Um, it could be coincidence that it began when Ron Hextall and Brian Burke showed up or shortly thereafter, but it's not coincidence that it's happened with Tristan Jari solidifying in net. Um, how many times, LB, have you heard or read me complaining through the course of the early part of the season, if only they'd get good goaltending, all of this would kind of settle itself down. You know, they'd start finding who they are. Uh, goaltending, lousy goaltending, the second worst goaltending in the NHL is going to dismantle everything else that you want to do, including the players, the skaters' confidence in front of you. Uh, I give full credit to Jari for really figuring this out uh he needed to become more aggressive i think he knew that but there's a difference between knowing it and doing it and then one night against the new york islanders there he went you know he just he just started uh attacking every shot uh actually started it it it, it started a little bit a couple games before that but he started attacking every shot, coming out of the net to stick handle. Look at the play he made on the overtime goal last night. That started with a goalie making a pass up the right boards. Uh, that's just really, really good stuff, LB. Yeah, he needed to buckle down, and, and he's buckled down and really had the best week and a half of the season. And it's no coincidence yeah. that the Penguins are all of a sudden uh, on, a, on a tear here. And it will be a battle. Because of the way things are, every time these division teams play some each other, somebody's going to get points. So everybody that they're fighting for those spots uh, on any given night is going to be getting those points as well. This is how I think everybody figured it would be, five, six teams fighting for four spots. Yeah, and the, the beauty of the Penguins' schedule, not that they're in a position to take anything lightly, but there is such a thing as some teams being better than others. And the Penguins have faced already a ton of Islanders and Capitals with now even more Capitals and Islanders coming to finish out this month. And if you look at the rest of their schedule, and I'm not going to be the guy who says out loud, oh, easy schedule, easy cakewalk, whatever, because there just isn't any such thing if you play the way the Penguins were playing before. 
they've got a whole lot of sabers and devils. And I know the devils have surprised some people pleasantly, but they're still the devils. Uh, and they're not as good as the teams that the Penguins are currently beating. This is a real plus for the Penguins that they're taking care of, in particular, the Capitals and Islanders the way they have been, because those are the teams that are probably going to be right there in that mix that you just described, the three, four, five, and six uh, that you need to keep out in order to make it into the playoffs. Uh, talk a little bit about the injury, the, the Zucker injury and, and some concerns you have with that impact that that will have on the, on the Penguins. Well, I think it might be an opportunity. I'm not going to turn, you know, a, a negative into a positive here, uh, you know, and make it sound like it's great that Jason Zucker's out. He had just started playing uh, some of his better hockey. Uh, I felt like over the last couple of weeks, he was working hard the whole time, but he was kind of working hard and wasting his time. If you know what I mean? Like he was just skating around and getting nothing done. Uh, he was a lot more productive, a lot more patient and a lot smarter with the puck. And from the sounds of things uh, following the Penguins practice today in DC, uh, he's going to be out a while. And, Zach Aston Reese was put in his place on Evgeny Malkin's line. I like that a lot, like a lot, a lot. And I understand that on one hand, it hurts your third line because you've got Teddy Bluger and Brandon Tanev there who have been doing great things as a unit. But your priority is always going to be your second line and making sure that your superstar or your one of your superstars has wingers than it is over taking care of the third line and the checking line. Uh, we'll see how things shape up on that third line, but this is an opportunity for, for Aston Reese, who's he scored a couple of goals already, had three goals in three games at one stretch uh, earlier this month uh, after coming back from, from the major uh, shoulder surgery that he had over the offseason. This is a kid, Albie, who has scored at every level of hockey except one. And he's never been painted by anyone in the organization as just a checker. Uh, he's always had that ability to score uh, and that potential to score in bunches. He's a guy that drives to the net, gets you ugly goals. Uh, it's an opportunity for him. Let's put it that way. All right. Penguins again with the Capitals on Thursday night, followed by two road games with the Islanders and then two home games with the Flyers. Back to talk Steelers here on Halftime Adjustments. Dane and Bradenton. And I'm right here in Pittsburgh when we come back. Welcome back to Halftime Adjustments. I'm Albie Oxenrider with Dan Kovacevic. And Dan, uh, it, it is clear now the Steelers want Ben Roethlisberger back. Statement today from Art Rooney II. And, uh, and Ben uh, has said all along he's willing to do what it takes to get this thing done. So, all I have to do is hammer it out in terms of the cap, and they can move forward at least for one more year with Ben Roethlisberger uh, under center. Oh, right. All they have to do is figure out $20 million, $40 million. You know, it's not done until it's done, but these are obviously really, really big steps uh, for both the team and the player. Uh, my own feeling on this, Albie, is that the Steelers basically – put Ben in a position where he had to capitulate and he did. Uh, I think there's, this was a little bit of a stare down, a silent stare down and that Ben was the one 
who who cracked here and and give Art Rooney credit for that because there's no way he was going to get some kind of massive concession. You're just not going to do that. It's professional sports. Uh, you could you can say all the right things the way Ben has about this and that, and I want to keep Juju and I want to go for another championship and everything. There's only one way to pull that off uh, with the Steelers cap situation. And I give Art credit. Uh, he held firm. I have no doubt that he actually would have walked away and the Steelers would have walked away from Ben if he hadn't agreed to really significantly reduce his cap hit, if not his salary. We'll see how that plays out. Um, so good for the Steelers on that front. I've got all kinds of other misgivings, though, Albie. What about you? I mean, what do you what do you see here? Well, first of all, you, you make a good point that I don't think uh, our Rooney was bluffing. However, I think from the beginning, despite the fact that his buddy Marquise Pouncey announced that he would retire, um, I, I have felt all along that Ben is going to do whatever it takes. I, the money's not necessarily important to Ben. Then again, you don't want to leave too much money on the table. So I think Ben knew from the beginning he was going to have to make some concessions. Hey, he could, he could, uh, he could take a $10 million, uh, easy for me to, to talk about somebody else's money, but he could take a $10 million uh, a pay cut and still never need money uh, or his grandkids won't ever need money. I mean, he's got enough money. He doesn't have to worry about it. It's just a matter of, does he have it in him to come back for another year and go through all of this uh, without his center, Marquise Pouncey, uh, likely without Juju Smith-Schuster? And the answer is yes. I think that in, you know, you know how it is when you play football that long, or if you play any sport that long, sometimes it's uh, it maybe the most difficult thing an athlete has to do is, is call it quits. And it's, there are very few athletes who are able to say, yeah. that's it. I'm walking away. No, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I think yeah. he made up his mind he was going to play. And I think that they will work out this money thing. And if they didn't think there was a realistic chance of working out the money thing, then they wouldn't have uh, come out with the statements that they have since the meeting. So I, I think plain and simple, this will get done. And I think having been back, Hey, I think a Ben Roethlisberger at 50% of what he used to do um, but with the knowledge he has up here uh, is better than anybody else. Um, even if they were to sign a free agent, you know, you sign a free agent, it's all a new landscape. Um, so, so yeah, I think this is the best way the Steelers move forward. They still have to figure out what they're going to do long-term, but that's a problem for another day. Well, the, the part that the, 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 the part where I think Ben deserves actually more of a pass than he gets from people is you look at the three really awful variables that worked against him around him. One, the 32nd ranked rushing attack in the 32 team NFL. Okay. Two, the offensive line was just abysmal. I mean, they did okay in pass blocking, but I'm talking about run blocking and everything else here. And I don't even know that they were that great in pass blocking because Ben had to just get rid of the ball like lightning. And the third is that the receivers led the NFL in drops. Yes. Now you take those three things, Albie, and you attach them to just an ordinary quarterback, and that quarterback won't even survive three weeks, much less make it to the end of the season, and had his team at one point at 11-0. and 0. Uh, This is, this is a, a tough, tough thing, though, because the part that I don't give Ben a pass on was his inability slash unwillingness to throw the ball deep until 
way near the end of the season when opponents left him absolutely no choice. And then he saw Mason Rudolph doing it in Cleveland, and he realized he's got to put the ball up. Uh, once he started doing that, he looked a little bit more normal. He looked a little bit more like Ben, but it happened way too late in the season. I wanted to see it all along, even all through the 11-0 and span, LB. I kept saying, I don't care about this. I want to see the ball deep. And it, it didn't happen until it was too late. So we'll see. I, you know, my, my big priority here, Albie, is I still want to just keep this defense together. You know, yeah. draft yeah. your offensive replacements. Yeah, and they have a lot of – Find a running back. Find some offensive linemen. I want to see this defense kept together. Yeah, and I think that the best way of putting it, does, um, do the Steelers have a realistic shot as, as things stand right now to win the Super Bowl? Uh, I'm going to say they better. They better. Be just they better. Well, well, you always think you have a shot, and that's always the standard for the Steelers. They want to win championships. But let's face a hard reality. They might be the third best team in that division. Um, forget the rest of the AFC just to get to the Super Bowl. And, and that doesn't mean that they won't have a shot. They will absolutely have a shot. I think specifically to what's happened with Ben Roethlisberger, they will have a better shot with Ben Roethlisberger. And in my opinion, uh, you get a veteran quarterback in there and you, you do some of the things that you talked about with the running game, with the offensive line, and particularly keeping that defense together. You give him a shot to beat Ben. Um, is it the Ben from five years ago? No, but it's still a Hall of Fame quarterback who can win you games. And their best shot at getting to that Super Bowl is with Ben. So I think, I think they made the move that they had to make, assuming this all gets done but it still doesn't settle their problems going forward. How do they transition uh, after next year? But again, that's a problem for another day. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about why Dan has such a beautiful backdrop today. Uh, it's the Pirates down at Pirate City in Bradenton. We'll talk about that when we come back. Oh, I like that. On cue, no less. We'll be back. Halftime adjustments right after this. Welcome back to Halftime Adjustments. And when I asked Dan what the view is from Bradenton, that can be taken both ways. The, the literal view looks pretty good behind Dan. Uh, figuratively, um, how is the view as the Pirates kick into spring training, Dan? Well, if people want to talk about 2021 as it relates to the Pirates, it's going to be a short conversation because they're not aiming anything at 2021. I'm sure to the discussion that we just had in direct contrast, I should say to the, con the conversation we were just having on the football team. And before that, the hockey team, uh, the pirates are in a total build mode. I can't bring myself to call it a rebuild because Ben Sherrington wasn't left much at all with which to rebuild. He's building basically from scratch uh, by every measure. He's done a terrific job in a year. He's basically changed the face of the top 30 prospects in this organization He's added pitching that was desperately needed. And I know that 99% of everybody who's watching is just wants to know who's going to be in the opening day lineup and what that's going to look like. And it, it's just, it breaks my heart to say this, but it just doesn't matter. This is not the same old, same old. I keep hearing that from people. Oh, there go the pirates again, doing the same. They have literally never done this, Albie. They've never traded players for high end prospects at lower levels. What they've done is they've traded like Garrett Cole for three whatever guys from Houston 
And then they show up in Pittsburgh right away and everybody just kind of goes, eh. That's the kind of trades that Neil Huntington made. He did that with Jason Bay. He did it with Xavier Nady. He did it with a bunch of other guys. And it doesn't work. All it does is perpetuate mediocrity. At some point, you have to try to get players with exceptional potential. They might come with risk. You might have to coach them up a lot more than you would a, a player that, you know what I'm saying, that are, that are, that are more the 4A guys. All I've been watching down here, LB, are the prospects. Uh, I mean, not that I don't have an eye on, you know, the occasional vet and whatever else like that, just out of curiosity. I was watching Gregory Polanco hit today and hit his usual moonshots like he does in spring training. But I'm really watching Brian Hayes. I'm watching the, the great pitching session that Mitch Keller had here today. He's going to be the number one pitcher in this rotation. Mitch Keller, you know, uh, you can choose to be miserable out of it, about it. Uh, you can choose to embrace it for what it is. That's how I see it. Talk a little bit about Cabrian Hayes, and, and and your points are all well taken, that they are looking to the future. This is not about this coming season. But uh, Cabrian Hayes, his role does change a little bit. I mean, at 24 years old, he had that spectacular September, uh, sixth in the rookie of the year voting in the National League. All of a sudden, he's, he's their feature player. He's a guy that's kind of their centerpiece in a way at a very young age. Well, he has the personality to withstand that. Um... He's, uh, um, if you will, he's a quieter version of Kutch. Okay, Kutch knew he was really, really good. Or like right away. I'm talking about when they drafted him. He was 18 and the first time he showed up here. Uh, he knew he was good. He knows he's good too, but he's, he's different. He's the son of a major leaguer, Charlie Hayes, of course. Uh, he's been raised in a baseball world. Uh, he knows how he's supposed to conduct himself, um, you know, we spoke with him yesterday here and he kind of laughed off the idea that he's supposed to be big man on campus. Now he goes, I'm, you know, that's just not what I'm thinking here. Todd Frazier just got the locker, the, the veteran first baseman that the Pirates just signed 35 year old. If you don't remember who Todd Frazier is picture a dude in, in a Cincinnati uniform doing nothing other than hitting home runs against the Pirates for a few years. That's, that's the Todd Frazier that I'm referring to. Um, the Pirates signed him as one of those veteran guys because they want him to assume that role. They don't want Brian Hayes to feel like he needs to lead the team. What's most important for Hayes and Keller and even guys like Reynolds and Newman and players like that who are a little bit older, but they're still not very major league experienced, they need to worry about themselves. They don't need to worry about clubhouse etiquette or who didn't slide the right way and stuff like that. So I thought this was a smart move on Charrington's part to bring in these older guys. And then to hear it directly from Hayes, that made it seem like an even better decision. Um, well, how you said you kept your eye on the prospects. What is, what is, is there anything or anyone standing out to you right now? Yeah, there's one, there's one. Um, and I, I, I say this with due respect to the, the wonderful pitching session I saw from uh, from Keller today, the, the way that Hayes picks it at third base is just, I mean, it's special. His defense is special. I don't know that he's going to, he's not going to be able to hit the way he did last summer. He'd, he'd be Ted Williams, but he's, he's special defensively. The guy that's jumped out, the kid that's jumped out is Quinn Priester, uh, a former first round pick who in instructional league last year blew the scouts away. And I'm not talking about the pirate scouts. I'm talking about around baseball to the point where 
you're seeing scouting services now suggest that he's going to be the next number one pitching prospect in all of baseball. Uh, that's pretty significant stuff. So when he pitched, it was a couple days ago here, I was watching him really carefully. And you know who he reminds me of in terms of his ease of throwing and his motion uh, and, his, and his command? Remember Jake Peavy from the Padres? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Re- really, like, good pitcher, but really compact. It didn't look like he was even trying. You know what I'm talking about? There aren't many of those guys in baseball. But in addition to the other benefits that come – with having a compact motion is you, you tend to stay healthier. You know what I mean? It's good for your uh, durability. You're not flying all over the place, risking your elbow. Uh, he was fun to watch. Uh, he threw everything really well, except for, a, I didn't like his curveball at all, but maybe he was just having a bad day. Uh, but he, he looks like he could be a, a, a part of the answer here, but it's going to take a while. Albie. I don't mean to mislead anybody here. It ain't happening this year. All right. Back with our final comments right after this. Hey, Dan, I uh, we left the last segment. Uh, it, you talking about, hey, it's not going to be this year, and, and I fully get it. I think most people are, are digesting that. But let me put you on the spot. The over-under, I think, was 58.5 or 59 uh, in Vegas. Oh, yeah. 2021. It just doesn't matter. I mean, I can give you any number. I think it's going to be around 70 because they, they're going to pitch better than people think. Uh, they have a better that's, rotation that's exactly than what people think. think. Yeah. That's exactly why. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is when you lose 100 games in baseball, and I've covered a 100 lost team in 2010, you have half your roster has to quit on you. Simple as that. And that's what happened when the Pirates lost 105 games, the, the series, the season that got John Russell fired. That's not going to happen. This is a bunch of kids. They're not quitting on anything. There are other futures ahead of them. So, you know, if, if anybody's really into that stuff, I'm going to say in the low 70s right now, but it's not going to be a disaster. Well, that's uh, – I think if they were – It doesn't a- matter, Albie. That's the thing. Is it, just, it just doesn't matter. What matters is if the individual players get better. It really – I know nobody wants to hear that, but it's true. This is how you do this in an unfair, imbalanced economic system. All right. Well said. Unfair, unbalanced. Amen. All right. Thank you, Dan. Have fun down there. Be safe and stay healthy. And we'll talk to you next week here on Halftime Adjustments every Wednesday night at 730 on WPXI Now.